Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show with Nancy Hopkins and Walt Silva. Produced by Colleen Kelly of Haggy Shack Radio, simulcasted over Cosmic Reality Radio. Hi, everyone. We are live and on the air. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Colleen. This is October 20th, 2015, and apparently the banks did not collapse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Colleen is uh, our producer, and my co-host is Walt Silva. Hi, Walt. How are you doing? Hello there. Good evening, everyone. And tonight we have Barbara Threecrow with us. Barbara. Hi. Yes, I'm here. Glad to be here. Thank you. I am so glad that you're here. Um, Colleen, how are you doing today? Pretty good? I'm doing great. And the the weather's all right up there in Indiana? Oh, yes. Beautiful day today. (laughs) I think it was was nice out there. Nancy's audio is low, Vanessa. My audio is low? Is this better if I talk in? It's good now. Good now. Okay. Yeah, everything. I, somebody's been up in here and messing with my mic. I just looked at it and it was all cockeyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Walt, I don't believe you've ever met Barbara, have you? I have heard of her name and I do know that she has a show, but I have not had a chance to hear one of her shows. Well, Barbara, this is Walt Silva. Walt Silva, this is Barbara Threecrow. Hi, Walt. Very nice to meet you. Same here. So you're so you're going to regale us tonight with uh, adventures from Barbara Land. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> It'll be an adventure for sure. <laughs> the first time I ever heard Barbara, she was on. I believe it was Dolly. I just all of a sudden was, who is this woman? <laughs> And what she's saying, and I was captivated by um, whatever it was you were saying, because it sounded so much like me in many ways, whatever it was you were saying at that moment. And um, you suddenly reached out to the audience and said, I'm, I'm connecting with somebody out there. And I'm going like, oh, my God, I think she just <laughs> pinned me, you know, because it was it was I was just so intent on, on what you were saying. And but after that, I never listened to another one of your shows until um, I was on the phone with Walt earlier, and I said, "Oh my God, I wanted to hear whatever she was saying today because I remembered on chat that you had mentioned your subject." And then I hung up from him and completely forgot about it. And then I take a little nap, and then I get up and I went, "Oh my God, I'm missing Barbara's show." And I look and I went, well, "Of course, it's been over for not two hours now." <laughs> And so then I go on, hoping that maybe that show was already in the archive, but it wasn't. And so I went back to the show, your last show before that. And um, it, it was so, it was it was just mind-bending to me because you, of course, were talking with about John, John uh, Mackey. Actually, it was an interview that he had been uh, interviewed in, and you were reading it. And I, I had heard so many things about John Mackey, and, and all my knowledgeable and experience in UFOs and, and all of that, I, I just never read him. 
And the amount of uh, absolute depth of, of his understanding, or it was, it was almost like that. That, that he's telling, he's talking about what I want, want to get to this, this thing that I've had in me for the last couple of weeks about finding out what it was with the the First Nation people because I think they had it. Somehow they understood whatever it is that we're searching for right now. And then when he was describing the concept of science is out there that's supposed to be able to prove all this stuff, and, and if you can't prove it by science, then it doesn't happen. And that's because we've lost the perspective of the First Nations, the Aborigines, the, the ones that, that understood the totality of of all these inter-energy merging were much more than just the 3D. And in some cases, it's impossible to, to, to prove something by 3D. But it's absolutely impossible to say it didn't happen because you experienced it. And then you went into uh, a discussion of the... I, I'm not even sure what it was because I think I might have lost something or, but it was the, the, a message from a group of, let's say, extraterrestrials who are here to, I think that what their, their message basically is, is humanity, we, we might decide to help you out, but we're really here to protect Gaia, protect Mother Earth. And, um, when you started to read what they were saying, that again, the synchronicity of what I've been feeling was was very palatable. And then finally, at the end of your show, you said something about we need to reconnect to ancestral knowledge or source. I didn't even remember the third word before I wrote it down because my mind just was like, eh, you know. So, Barbara, we definitely have a, um, a togetherness here. Um, something is drawing us together. And as I was listening to you and considering that, what is this thing that, that takes and meshes us all together in this one wondrous weave? And, um, you know, what does it mean? And I, I think, I think what I'm getting is that you also at the end of your show were, um, talking about the fact that something may come that needs to put us on our knees so that we then ask for the guidance that we should have been asking for all along. And that it only seems, it seems to be that in too many occasions it takes you to get really beat up before you can go and wake up. And <clears throat> I think that there, that, that the only difference we have right now is that I see that what's really happening is that so many of us are telling the same message, but because we're on our own path, we're in a separate frequency. Same message, but a separate frequency. And what I see coming and happening is that all of these separate frequencies are starting to come together. And I don't think we're going to need to go to our knees. I think that we've been on our knees and they're starting to stand up. And um, I know I kind of laid a lot, a, lot, a lot on you right then and there. But it's like I say, I, thank God I, I finished your, your your show just just as this thing was calling me. So... Um, what would you like to say to that, Barbara? <laughs> um, well, I, I really feel the um, energy here, your excitement, of course, and everything. And uh, so it's a, a good, uh, excellent uh, 
time to come together energetically, uh, for sure. First of all, it's John Mack, not Mackey. Um, he was a Harvard uh, professor, and uh, he... I popped some information in on the chat uh, uh, on him, uh, Wikipedia information on him, a whole rundown, and also a uh, YouTube uh, uh, on him as well, speaking. Um, he, um, well, one thing that really drew me to him, of course, um, is what happened to him. I, I happened to spend an overnight uh, in his house in Boston after he was um, taken out by the CIA, FBI, whoever did it. Of course, it was supposedly a uh, hit-and-run drunk driver accident, but my intuition or those helpers right away said to me, and I'm not the only one, so I didn't know anything about John Mack. And, um, you know, the way spirit pushes us all together. We're like in this great big web and everybody's everybody's walking on the web of life. And uh, you could be way over there, um, far away from where I am and I'm making my journey. But we're meant to meet up uh, eventually in a point on the sacred web. And so all things fall into place to get us to that point in on the web where we finally meet. And uh, it's, you could say, synchronicities, the way life happens, you know. But there's no, nothing happens by chance. Um, that's the way I look at it. And Because if you start to review back how, how various things occurred in your life that propelled you in one direction and then... You happen to meet someone or a circumstance happens that propels you in the next direction. And the same thing occurs there. And all things are really working to get us where we are meant to be uh, throughout our journey here on the earth. So I met some people here in the Hudson Valley, the UFO capital of the world, um, because I'm an experiencer and an abductee um, and... Um, uh, I met some other people um, similar, and we started a, a kind of a, a chat group for people who have had uh, unexplained phenomenon, not necessarily an abduction, but who have had unusual experiences, unexplainable experiences, and who we had a, a place where people could come and just share their experience without judgment in a safe place where we could all come together and support and witness um, people's, you know, unusual, out there, way out there, bizarre stuff. And uh, I met these two people, and uh, they both knew <coughs> of John Mack, and um, whom I had no idea about. So there was a an event, a gathering up in... Boston off of Harvard Square for experiencers and abductees. And I went along with this, these two people because they, um, were invited and they invited me. Um, <clears throat> so the woman, um, who was leading this group, um, 
was a very, very dear, close friend of Dr. John Mack. And she was living in his house, um, you know, nearby Harvard Square. And um, so I met her. And um, when we started the, the forum, the room was filled with people. And I'd say that pretty much everyone there knew each other. And they had all been personally invited uh, to this event. And um, so the door was closed in the room after everyone gathered. And uh, she was starting, this woman Janice was starting uh, to welcome everyone. And she had a, a board up to show what was going to be going on that day and an outline of things. And the door opened. <clears throat> And this um, very tall, blonde, muscular man walked in, short cropped hair, brilliant, startling blue eyes, opened the door and stood there. And everybody, everybody, the whole room together shifted their heads to look in his direction. And no one said a word. He walks in, closes the door, finds a place to sit down. Now, I noticed the energy shift because as soon as he walked in, it was like a simultaneous wave of everyone shifted and looked at him, but nobody said a word. Even Janice, the head of this group, never said a word. She also looked. It was as though they were mesmerized. I I like to use that term because... This is exactly what it was. Um, He came in, found a little place to sit down, and everybody turned and looked at her, and she proceeded. And uh, I was thinking, wow, this is kind of interesting. (laughs) I really was checking everybody out, and nobody was, you know, had a problem with this. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe he's expected. Um, But there was a different energy that I noticed. So anyway... um, we were going to be, uh, after everyone introduced themselves, we were going to um, break off into different groups and have discussions about various uh, topics and regarding abduction, regarding experiencers, and so on. And so um, I stepped out quickly before we got set with our groups to go to the ladies' room, and uh, when I went out into the hall, he was coming out of the men's room. And he said to me, I want to be in your group. And I said, "Uh, sure, fine. And I went into the ladies' room, and when I got back in the room, everybody had already been set in their groups, and there was no room in my group. So he was in another group. So then we did our discussion. We had, you know, talks and so on, and then we took a break. And uh, I went outside across the street to a little deli, to get something to eat and while I was as soon as I stepped off the curb and got out into the middle of the street I heard one of those little guiding voices and it said to me he is a spy and I got chills and I proceeded to cross the street get my sandwich and so on and so when we formed back into the second group in the second half of this uh, gathering he was in my group and uh, there were about probably about five of us in each group, and uh, he was sitting across from me, and 
and um, we had our discussion. Everybody had an opportunity to speak. Um, when we finished up and we all got back, you know, in, in the positions to listen to everybody's sharing and, uh, and get some ideas and further ideas, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I don't have a clue what that man said. Not a clue. I have no recollection. I remember him speaking because I remember looking at his face and he was looking directly at me and I remember his mouth moving but I have no memory. So after we finished up, I went to the people that were in sitting with me in that circle, and I asked them, I said, do you remember that guy who came in late and someone, he was in our group? And they said, yeah. I said, do you remember what he spoke about? And they all kind of like went, uh, well, no. I, you know, I really don't remember what he... So that was another piece that kind of like, really heightened my um, suspicion here. That night, myself and uh, Janice and the other woman um, went to Janice's house, which is John, excuse me, John Mack's house. And um, I had a, um, a dream that night. Well, it wasn't one of those dreams. It was, it was a visitation. I got up in the morning and I shared it with them. I knew it was a visitation. And uh, in this experience, I'm in that room upstairs, and uh, suddenly there's a brilliant light. And I'm looking at the light, and I'm thinking, wow, the, the sun, the sun is out. It's morning already. And uh, sorry for this intrusion, folks. Um, but there was someone that appeared. Um, so the light was behind them, very bright, and I couldn't see their face, but I could see that it was a very well-built, large person, uh, with, of course, no hair, it looked like, and it was hovering over me. And the next thing I know, it's morning, and I'm waking up. Now, why I'm telling you that is because of the fact that John Mack, a professor at Harvard, started to um, get very, very curious. And, uh, and I always say spirit works in strange ways. And the curiosity came because the people that he worked with, he was a psychoanalyst, the people that he worked with over many years so many of them had abduction experiences. And he first sloughed it off as, you know, just weird experience, weird dreams or, you know, imagination as, as uh, these types of, you know, people often do. And uh, But it became so prevalent, so excessive, and he really started to think that, you know, these people, these are like, not weird people. These are not crazy people. These personalities of these people does not display this kind of, um, you know, uh, excessive uh, experiences or they're not making this up. So he, he started to investigate. <clears throat> he started to document this very seriously. And one of the things that he started to do through the way, again, Spirit Works, led him to some native elders. And um, 
he started to ask them questions. And well, he started to write books. He his first book was Abduction. His second book was Passport to the Cosmos. And um, he started to disclose this, you know, what he believed was fact that there are abductions and he really got into it and he as a professor at Harvard he started to create havoc in that academic world as you can imagine so um, they didn't like it and he was being threatened first his job was being threatened first he was being you know, ostracized and, you know, brought in and having a big discussion and asking him, what do you think you're doing? And this is really not smart and so on. Well, it got to a point where he started to really be threatened about losing his job and so on. And strange things started happening to him. And he did actually have to go to court. And he did win in court uh, to actually keep his job. When he went to London, by then he was well-known within the UFO um, investigating um, realm and the crop circle realm and all of this phenomenon, uh, all the people involved for many, many years prior to John Mack getting involved in this, um, all knew of him because he started to write these books. And and so he was invited to um, England to give a talk on, of course, ETs, abduction, phenomenon, and so on, and uh, go visit the crop circles and whatever, which he did, by the way. There's a wonderful video on him in the crop circles and his experience. But while he was there, he was hit crossing the street and got hit and killed by a drunk driver. And that was the end of Dr. John Mack, Harvard professor, um, stirring up things stirring up the truth and as an academic and a renowned academic um, he was causing problems so anyway the, the experience with uh, his being at his house and that um, ET coming in that Nordic coming in as the spy and then coming at night to me in John Mack's upstairs bedroom was pretty intense and um, so I'm going to stop there. I don't even know if you're all listening and if I'm still on. <laughs> yes, you're still on. We're all okay. fascinated. Fascinated. Just, I just, so I just stopped there just to give you a rundown on John Mack and my experience at, at, uh, in, in Harvard, <laughs> off of Harvard Square. <laughs> yeah. Um. Now, <clears throat> you said that you thought that the spy was a Nordic? Well, now, <clears throat> let me tell you, I am not well-versed on all of the 70-some, I don't know how many there are. I'm, I, I started reading that on one of my uh, shows when I started to get into this, the phenomenon and E.T. And, and abductions, and I started reading the many different uh, races of E.T.s, and uh, I don't know, I think I got up to 50-something, and then I went off into something else and uh, promised to get back to it, but um, I guess I get, decided that, you know, we know they're out there. We don't have to know how many there are. <laughs> it's like, what's that about? You know, what we really need to know is uh, 
where are we as as a race, a human humanity, and how do people deal with this who who um, view or have these experiences and they are traumatized by them and also um, the differences of perception of the indigenous or First Nations people pretty much throughout the world and all early civilization, uh, First Nations people, with these are a common experiences. They're nothing terrifying. They are, in fact, we call them the Wikchopi Oyate, our star relatives. Exactly. And um, what, what, I, what I find so very intriguing is that well, I guess because I'm a historian that I was, you know, have a degree in history, there's always a circle. There's always a circle. And sometimes the circle, when, especially when you're younger, I mean, with age comes this ability to look at a lot of data. We get more data. And I'm with you. I, I can't get into understanding all the various um, peoples that might be not from Earth. I don't know all the peoples on Earth. So right. I kind of like to say, well, um, you know, <clears throat> I don't need to study the United Nations or the Galactic Federation or anything. You know, the fact they're there is, you know, okay, we, we know they're there. And uh, how do we deal with it? But, again, it goes back to the fact that now we, we have the concept of <clears throat> maybe there was some ge- genetic engineering early in the game with humans. But... I think that that came after the fact and that there was a core belief system that seems to always be there, always be prevalent if you just look at it. And somehow or another, they have attempted to keeping us from looking at this, the very truth of <clears throat> what it is to be human, what it is to live on this planet, in this biosphere. Um, God bless Dr. Mack, that he, yeah. um, you know, oh, yeah. he was, he, he took the, he took the mission because that must have been a very difficult mission. Oh yeah, I mean, he was raked through the coals. Very, very seriously raked through the coals. You know, not only by the, um, you know, the, the, uh, Harvard, um, you know, president and all the colleagues. He did have, this was interesting because in that room, uh, during that uh, meeting, there were other uh, Harvard professors there. There were two other Harvard professors there that actually uh, finally really heard Dr. Mack. They really heard it, and they got on board, and so that was really quite wonderful. And they were working with, um, I don't know, in some scientific field of, um, uh, I don't know, you want to say warp speed, uh, they were talking about that, and they were working in that field, um, you know. So they were they were some that were involved, but he was he really suffered greatly. Um, but he and then I then they took him out, you know, just like they're taking others out who are you know speaking the truth and and uh, you know people who are discovering things that that will help. The, the whole population, the whole world, um, they've been doing that for centuries. And I suspect that they don't really take them out. They put them into a more powerful position. Because one of the things that you also said in that that show that I listened to was that we are in a uh, situation where everything is manifesting itself and, and we're getting a clarity 
that shows us that we are individuals, that our power is because we understand individuality, but that we're coming together for one purpose. And that is basically to save the planet. Yeah. I mean, I think that at the core, um, the core motivation in most of us is not necessarily to save humanity. It's to save the planet in this biosphere. Because if you can't look at it that way, trying to save humanity is a waste of time. You gotta fix the, the core machine, if you want to think of it that way, the spaceship Earth, like Buckminster Fuller talks about. Um, Walt, did you want to, you must have had some ideas here. Did you want to comment on anything? Oh, the the only two things I wanted to comment is, um, oh, number one, uh, when she mentioned and she described the, the gentleman who came into the meeting, you know, the tall Nordic-looking gentleman, I was reminded of what uh, Corey Good recently uh, put in his blog, which he discusses in that uh, Guy M TV show with David Wilcock, that he was surprised to, dis- to discover that uh, these breakaway civilizations that exist in the inner earth, uh, the Nordics are part of that breakaway civilization. What had ha- has happened is through the decades, because they connect to people on the surface through the channeling phenomena and visitations and all of that stuff, they present themselves as being of extraterrestrial origin, but in reality they are from this planet itself. What has happened is that every time there has been a major cataclysm where civilization has been lost, well, they haven't really been lost, like in the case of Atlantis, given their super advanced technology and hyperdimensional knowledge, all they did is they migrated into the earth and made a, a life for themselves there. So Corey, when he was allowed to visit this place, because although these disparate, separate, different groups have had to merge kind of uh, against their will to protect themselves from the, um, you know, these crazy factions on the surface, um, they don't, they have a dim view of surface humanity because they see, they consider themselves pure human because they have undiluted bloodlines as compared to the surface dwellers, which are considered to be contaminated by all the immigrants that have come in from other worlds as they were. Like this, It's almost like a repeat business of this Syria thing where you have these refugees trying to escape their, uh, their country being torn to shreds. The same thing happened on a planetary star level. You know, you had refugees coming in from worlds that were in the midst of war. And these uh, inner earth dwellers have explained to Corey that that's where humans get this uh, tendency for violence because it was part of, or that was one of the features of some of these bloodlines that came to the planet. They were heavily invested in violence as a way of life. So they, they gave that attribute to their descendants. So he, he says, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that there are no extraterrestrial life forms that look like a Nordic. I'm just saying that, I'm just relaying what he said that, um, a lot of these, like visitations, like she describes, they're not 100% extraterrestrial in origin. They're more likely to be from the inner earth. And when he questioned them, okay, so why are you doing this? Why are you pretending to be extraterrestrial? Because this is their way of protecting themselves 
by kind of directing or herding human thought. Because when you when you think about it, when you look at the big picture of things, humans are tremendous little creation creation engines. I mean, if you if you want a reality made, just get a bunch of humans together in an island somewhere, just give them a belief system, and within a year you'll have a whole new reality. I mean, it's amazing. Humans are reality engines. They can create realities, whatever you want. All you have to do is get hold of their thinking process, get them thinking certain lines, give them a philosophy, a religion, whatever you want to give them, but just get them to agree on a specific set of belief systems, and you're done. You have a brand new reality. So when you think about it, this is a serious resource you want to have on your side. And this is what they have been doing. They they have been monitoring human thought. They have been affecting it. Uh, you yourself, you know, we we took part in that uh, activity of uh, deprogramming and releasing the archons from that age-old program that was um, uh, the program that was implemented in the times of Atlantis. What was it? They were an AI program to direct human thought. Because you get the humans to think in a specific direction, poof, you have a reality the way you want it. And you have millions of individual consciousness supporting whatever reality is, is, uh, suits you. So this is, this is why ultimately this is the war for consciousness. Whoever can <laughs> have a, a finger on the button that controls human thinking is going to come out the winner. So that's why it's so critical that we uh, become sovereign. Uh, we become conscious of what is it that we're manifesting day by day, moment by moment, because we are reality makers. We make and break realities. Now, the thing that I wanted to say, how all of this connects to the indigenous groups is because I, I agree with um, part of the information that Rumbalo Melchizedek explains in his Flower of Life volumes. And uh, I, I've been looking in YouTube for a specific video that he made, but it, it appears to be part of a much longer multi-hour video um, where he explains the movement of spirit through the dimensions is not a straight line. It's a spiral. And it happens to be the fee spiral, the Fibonacci series spiral. And he shows how the evolution of all life, not only on Earth, but everywhere, follows the trajectory of the spiral. So to illustrate this, he uses the example of there's a, he gave the name, I do not recall, a thorny bush found in the desert, where as the bush grows, first you get one leaf, as it extends to the next stage of growth, you'll see three leaves. Then the next stage, you'll see five. Then the next stage, you'll see eight. And finally, when the bush matures, you'll have 13 little flowers. So if you look at these numbers, it's going up in a Fibonacci proportion. You have one, three, five, eight, thirteen. So he says, how does the bush know what the next stage will have? He says, well, if you're at, at the stage of eight leaves, you look back, you look at your past, when you grew five, five and eight is 13. So you know where you're going in the future. From your eight stage, your next stage is going to be 13 because you're following that spiral. 
And he claims that this is the wisdom we have to have when looking at the indigenous people. The indigenous people were the stage behind us. So we need to add them to our stage so that we know where we'll go into the future. And to me, it makes perfect sense because look at their reality. Did they have money? No. Number one detail. Number two detail, should I say start backwards. Number one detail, reverence and respect for the earth. Reverence and respect for life because they never hunted things to extension. They hunted as they needed. They didn't, they were not hoarders. They lived their reality and they enjoyed it. They shared everything equally. Among the indigenous nations, yes, you had characters that had a little bit more power because, okay, this is the chief, this is the medicine man, so you hold them in reverence. But they didn't have, they didn't own acres and acres of land. They didn't hold wealth over others. So all of these features is what we need to add to our existing our reality so we can get that. And, of course, and what's in our stage? Well, we have the benefits of the technology that we have developed, positive, you know, life-enhancing technology, like all the vibration-based medicine or energy-based medicine or the philosophies that we discover, you know, getting back our sovereignty. So that's why that's we won't be able to move forward until we take their reality and add it to ours. So we'll know, okay, which is the next stage in the Fibonacci spiral. That's why we need to look back to and, and adopt or at least uh, learn from that wisdom of that reality that they had and implement it in our reality. I mean, it should be easier. There's no more abundance than ever before. You have energies, free energies, it should be quite simple. It's those that want to stay in power that come up with all the excuses and all the obstacles why we shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> they just want to stay as they are. So that's that's my tiny two, two cents there. Profound. Um, Barbara, <laughs> you want to comment? First off, I would like you to um, you know, tell us if you resonate with the concept of the uh, civilizations in the inner earth. And um, also, uh, Walt, your, your your concept of why we have to look back is just, I think, really the core of what I'm feeling, is that we have to look back and we have to merge what they knew with what we know to take the next step. Barbara? Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, well, yes, you know, I know of the blues that... Uh, uh, went into the Middle Earth. Um, there are others, uh, that's for sure. Um, I'm not, I'm not up on the fact that the Nordics may be Middle Earth or off planet. I just know they exist. I've had other experiences with them after that particular one. Um, and I know some others who also have, um, but they came in a ship. For this person, so I don't know. Perhaps there are different, uh, you know, different groups, or they have that ability. I don't know. Oh, um, that's one of the things that uh, Corey Good was able to witness when he was allowed to visit. They all have uh, space technology. Yeah. They all have advanced technology. Yeah. They they they've been traveling the solar system since before man made his first rocket. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so. Um, the, um, <clears throat> as far as the, uh, 
the Blues were a group, uh, I guess, you know, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly in all parts of creation. And we have to look at that. And uh, the Blues were the people of the feather. They called them, the Hopi uh, called them the people of the feather. And they basically came uh, and tried to make... Um, um, contact. Well, they made contact with President Eisenhower, actually, and they've probably have probably been many times throughout our history when these beings have tried to make, um, let's say, helpful contact and and wake people up uh, to where humanity was heading uh, through the decisions and the agenda and so on. And they basically said that they would help um, the United States with technology and so on if they would put down their weapons, um, you know, the weapons of um, nuclear weapons and so on. And, of course, that was not agreed upon. You could imagine, you know, that. <laughs> I can't imagine them, our government agreeing to that. So the Greys stepped in, and the Greys stepped in, and they offered the same type of assistance, technology and so on, for the right to basically start abducting. And uh, now this is the story. This is a well-known story. Uh, documented, um, and so the Blues w- stayed with the Hopis for for many many years, but they also then had to retreat into the Earth. Now this was a long time ago. I don't know if they have stayed there or not. I have no idea. I'm just sharing information with you. Um, as far as uh, going back, um, now there's a the prophecy, and I often speak about this prophecy, is the um, the returning to the ways of our ancestors, because our ancestors, every one of us, the listeners and those of us here uh, that are on this on the mics here, we our ancestors were all First Nations people. No matter where your people came from, they were called Earth people. I call them Earth people. Um, meaning they were tribal. And tribal means um, relationship. And, and the way of the First Nations people here on Turtle Island and other First Nations people is that tribal consciousness is what we're talking about. So it's a unit. It's about unity. It's about the whole. It's about understanding everything that we do is for the next coming seven generations. We're all incrementally dying you know we're just not going to be here forever in this physical body so you know uh, as far as saving the planet uh, when we're gone what's going to be happening to the planet I believe we've all recycled ourselves back here at this crucial time because we knew what was going to be happening and yes I believe we're all here to really help to assist um, Mother Earth, you know, to stop the madness and the assault upon her. Because this is the jewel in the center of the sacred web, the cosmic web. This planet is so crucial to the whole cosmic system. We call the the great universal web or cosmic web. And without this part of the web, or if this part of the web dies or rips or tears, it's going to affect the whole as everything is related, everything is in relationship. So um, saving the planet, you know, uh, it's really about uh, raising the frequency, uh, the consciousness. Um, this is another prophecy. We are entering into the uh, fifth world, thousand years of peace, which is the age of enlightenment. Uh, it's 
about humanity raising their consciousness, their frequency to come into the transition of who we were really meant to be, uh, the possibility of, of uh, what we can really achieve, who we once were. And um, so, yes, the ways of the First Nations people, even the ancestors, the First Nations people from Europe had the way of being conscious in relationship. They had their ceremonies. They were given phenomenal information from the star brothers and sisters and um, this is a very important piece to understand the um, the they gave them the information on the uses of frequencies of energies they gave them you know how to levitate those monolithic stones for instance how to put them in place and and prepare them in the way that is impossible to be done today as the scientific community you know uh, can't figure out how that was done so my connection with um, the First Nations people and uh, my own experience, when I was a child, I was told that I was came from the stars. And I learned later that that was one of the Pleiades stars, and it's actually called Maya. There is a planet up there called Maya uh, the, in that, in that uh, configuration up there. There's other names, but the Lakota, the elder that I was speaking to, told me our people came from the Pleiades. And why we came here to this earth is because we wrecked havoc up there. Um, and we had to leave. And we came to this planet here. And our oral history, our songs, speak of our coming in a great ship. Well, they call it a sacred hoop. Came to earth here. And, the, and there's, it goes a little further. Their oral history and song speaks of them leaving this planet onto another, into another place, and then it ends. They don't have any further information. And um, the way of First Nations people throughout the whole world have uh, relationships with off-planet beings, with beings and elementals and spirits on this planet. This is very common for them because they have a different perspective because to them, everything is a relationship. We're in relation with everything. They are brothers and sisters. So, and they're all part of creation. Not to be feared. They are teachers. And it's a different type of thinking because when you have, um, you know, organized religion, uh, and as a matter of fact, when the Europeans, uh, first, uh, came here and confronted the beliefs and the way of the First Nations people, they were, you know, right away jumped into the, the, uh, you know, the accusations of that these are savages, that these are devil worshippers and so on and so forth. Um, and our way, of course, the way of the church or the cross or whatever is, is the only way. And, um, so they infiltrated these beliefs into First Nations life and uh, it's created a tremendous um, disruption in the way they functioned as a unit, as a tribal consciousness, particularly the clan mother system or the matrilineal system. And um, between the violations and the abuses, they basically worked to separate the people from their original ways and uh, believing that they were helping them, that the uh, the best way was to uh, kill the Indian and to make them white and to get them baptized, and then they'll be saved. 
you know, I mean, this was what happened to the First Nations people in Europe. The same thing happened there. So um, now you have within the First Nations people, you have what are called the traditionals. And you have the others who are on the reservation, but they are not traditionals no longer. They are Catholics or Baptists or Protestants. And there's that internal war there between the people themselves. You have some Lakota who are traditionals and, and other nations. There's the traditionals, meaning they maintain the original way of their people that have had been in place for thousands and thousands of years. They maintain their spiritual practices. They maintain the way of the Chinumpa Wakan, the sacred pipe, with their Inipi ceremonies, their purification ceremonies, with their sun dances, with their vision quests, with the honoring of the young uh, girl and the young boy when they come of age, the dancing, the, the way of the original people. Their awareness, their consciousness of everything having a spirit, that is, everything is sentient. The, the earth is a sentient mother. As very, very uh, different uh, from the other minds, uh, that it's just a, a place where you can just take whatever you want and uh, manifest destiny, we call it. So to get back to, um, you know, my the words of we need to go back, it's not that we need to go back. We need to go forward with the knowledge and wisdom that these people, that the that the elders are willing to share because they have been sharing it. And not too many people have been listening, uh, but their prophecies tell them of the rainbow warriors appearing, and we are those rainbow warriors. The rainbow warriors are people of all nations coming back to the way, the original way that we all once lived. Um, which was close to Mother, close to Mother Earth, relationship to nature, awareness, uh, the ability to really communicate, for instance, with the spirit realm, with the animals, uh, the healing ways um, that everything upon the earth was created by Creator, Mother, Father, to be um present for us everything we ever needed was here every medicine that we needed every antidote that we needed is outside the clean water the clean air uh the medicines it's called pujutawakan the sacred medicines everything the people needed and they were giving given this um originally all of our people were and that's called um you know, your conscious awareness of your where you live, your relationship to the Mother Earth and all of life around you. It's that conscious awareness of yourself as a sacred being and all others as sacred as well. So it's not about going back. It is how are we going to move forward and gain this knowledge and wisdom and understand our true nature, our fundamental selves, our fundamental nature, I call it. You know, and uh, without our relationship to the Mother Earth and uh, the sentient realm around us and each other, where are we heading? It's not about consumerism. It's not about the other things that are supposedly you're being told are going to make you happy. Money is not going to bring happiness and peace to the world. It's just not. So...
That's that's what I have. I want to just say that I believe our all of our origins are from the stars, and um, the Kogi that uh, I'm involved with, the Kogi elders in Colombia, South America, the Mamas they're called, the Kogi and the Arawako people. They're the ones who disappeared for 500 years when the Spanish came, and then just recently in '98 exposed themselves to the world because they were alarmed at what was happening to the Mother Earth. They said that they have been on the earth uh, when the gods walked upon the earth. And they traveled to a place called the Aluna, which is a realm where they commune and meet with the ancestral beings and the spirit realm. And I think it was 2009, they told me that recently they've noticed that when they travel to this realm that there are fewer and fewer beings present, and that is concerning them. And uh, some of the elders say that many of the beings are leaving this realm and moving through uh, different portals and entering into other realms. And uh, as far as the um, transitioning into the new paradigm, the fifth hoop, thousand years of peace, my question was always to the elders, well, does that mean that we will be a spirit? Does that mean we're heading for another planet? Does that mean we'll be here on Earth and everything will suddenly change to thousand years of peace? And not one of them could really answer that. Uh, but in the way I receive uh, guidance, I reflect on something and I open myself and I ask, well, what what might this be then? And the answer came that we are... In the process, and it is up to all of humanity where we're going to go, what that will be. And it's about raising our frequency. It's about uh, coming into alignment with the highest divine frequency because we are energy beings. And to align ourselves with that high divine frequency, um, we are aligning with the Mother Earth and with the Creator, Mother Father. And if the Mother Earth is shifting, which she is, and she's transitioning which she is, we are living here on this mother. And if we don't raise our frequencies and understand or understand our relationship, how crucial it is, um, where are we going to be hanging out? Uh, it's about the energies, high frequencies, low frequencies. Low frequencies is the fourth um, world that we are, are moving out of. Um, the lower frequencies of chaos, uh, violence, and and so on. Yeah, I like to say that you cannot predict the future, you can only create the future. And I think that that's why nobody's got a real take on it. That's right. Um, Walt, she probably brought up a lot of things in your mind, but wait, when she first started and she was mentioning the blues... Uh, we had a, have you ever studied the uh, black goo, Barbara? Are you familiar with I it? I have a little bit. A little bit I have, yeah. Well, according to the research that we discovered, the, they, and they were calling them extraterrestrial, but it's, it, they were also calling them the blues, were attempting off the coast of, of the Falco, well, in the Falco, Falco Island. Falco? What am I saying? Well, the Falklands. Falklands. The Falkland Islands. Um, they were working to get this black goo 
out of the um, the depths of the ocean that it was there because this black goo is an extraterrestrial force that was there's natural black goo on Earth, but this was a particularly um, kind of an artificial what was artificial that was going to um, be able to terraform Earth, and, but it was again it was the blues. I just wanted to mention that because our our audience knows quite a bit about black goo. We had a a mission and send it back from whence it came. Right. Well, I don't know where the, that word, how they um, designate them, that as the blues. Now, I have been um, very, very deeply connected to a spirit being that is that uh, that is from that. Um, she's one of the blues, and uh, she's one of the higher beings. And uh, these people of the feather, the blues, were also that. So I don't know, you know. Um, it's very possible, you know, that that term could be used for that uh, black goo too. I don't know. It's like a, it's viral. Well, it's the black goo, it, the the blues were just attempting to, you know, contain it so that it couldn't go into a terraforming. Oh, okay. So I uh, thought you were referring to the black no, goo as no, the blues. No, okay, no, no. Okay, so that makes no. sense to me then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they so, well, they were, and they actually contacted the Argentinian government in order to get help from the uh, humans. Right. It was it was this important uh, a mission, and that's why you had the the war between Britain and Argentina. It was over this, you know. Well, in actuality, the whole story gets really crazy because the British um, were able to get some of this stuff, and then they they sent it back to England to be uh, analyzed. And it's a whole story about what happened then. And it left a trail of dead people. Say again. It left a long trail of dead people. Yes, I, I yes. bet it did. <laughs> yes, it well, did. I bet it did. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, the um. The uh, no, I forgot what I was going to say here. Um. You just brought something to my mind and it just flipped right out. I hate that when that happens. <laughs> well, it happens. But it it, does you know you, what? What oh. I love what I love about this, these stories is that we know the outer story, and then we find out what was behind the scenes, and you're going like, "Oh my God!" You know, it's right. like <laughs> I know what I was going to say. Go. I was when you heard me talking. Um, my second part of the show, the Allies of Humanity. You heard the first part, the Allies of Humanity, I think. And that, yeah, they are some beings, uh, allies, um, um, that are speaking to humanity, uh, basically warning them about the agenda of some of the ETs that are really, uh, you know, set out to, it, as, um, as Walt said, the war for consciousness. And that's exactly what it is. And, um, and they're, um, working very diligently with what they want our resources. Well, we are part of those resources. Humans are resources, but they want the Earth's resources as well. But what I discovered is that the elite, or the cabal, people call them the cabal or the elite, that we know very well what they're doing, um, is, um, um, in cahoots with these particular ETs. Um, everything, it's sort of like when the Blues went to the president and said, we'll help you, but you've got to put away all this destructive stuff. And they said, no way. Well, then the Greys step in and they say, hey, we'll help you, but uh, 
but we need certain things from you. Um, and it's not, you know, you can keep your weapons, but we want certain things. And we want uh, dominion over some of the humans, so on. And the greys uh, are working with these, uh, basically puppets, you might say, uh, of these other ETs. Now, it's a, it is a battle for uh, not only our consciousness, but our spirit, or you want to say soul. Some people say there's this, the... Uh, you know, they want the soul of, of humanity. And they make promises. And, you know, this is where people have to be very careful. And I was talking about that today on, uh, on as I continued my talk show on Turtle Talk, how we really have to be very careful because the way we see things happening on the earth is very, very despairing and very troubling. And it's quite serious. And so people are coming to that, you know, Speaking about uh, this, you know, what's happening here on the earth, maybe we should leave, uh, let's go get it, you know, let's go off the planet. And even young people are saying, well, if this earth is destroyed, well, they're going to take us to another planet. So, you know, we'll be okay. And uh, people are getting fed up. And when they're fed up, if somebody comes along and stands in front of them and says, hey, I have an answer for you, I can save you. And I can make everything better. You want peace? I can take you. There will be peace. You want a job? I can take you and I can give you a job. Be very careful because I'm always joking, but I'm serious when I say do not get on the ships because they're going to do that. The Messiah or the saviors, they're not coming. This is not about being saved. This is about, yeah, just like you're saying, Nancy, it's about our developing a higher consciousness, and coming to understand the way of the First Nations people in how they lived in harmony and balance and the ancient knowledge that they had with how to do that. And how we can bring it forth into the present to make the next step in in our own conscious elevation. We're going to take a break. It's at the top of the hour. Um, I hope everybody's having as good a time as I am. Um, so, uh, Walt, did you give Colleen some music? Do we have music? Is Colleen nope. here? I'm here, and we do have music. All righty. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm going like, what's happening here? I started to type you. Oh, I went uh, to throw some potatoes and stuff in this roast, and apparently I took a little longer than I thought I did. So uh, I apologize. Not a problem, not a problem. I have to say that that music was, was, brought me back to when I talked about the 90s in the, in the book, my book Cosmic Reality. I tell you that in the 90s we had, uh, groups get together and we had flutes and we had drums and we had, you know, shakers and all sorts of different noisemakers. And we would get music like you just heard. It was the most astounding thing. All these people, there was only one musician amongst us. And all of these people just, you know, you'd get linked to the vibration. You'd feel it. It was like you were connected to the, to everything around us. I live in an acre of land, and this was in a Merkaba, which was an uh, elevated pyramid with a circle and all sorts of geometric. Um, well, on the ground, there was an entire copper grid system. So, I mean, it was just magical, but we would make this connection to uh, Mother Earth, and as soon as you would make it, at least I would also uh, feel connected to um, star people. Star, I just feel this connection that somewhere on some other planet there was 
people like us doing the same thing and that we were connecting beyond just that little group in, in the backyard. So I thought it was amazing music. Thank you, Walt, for giving it to Colleen. So Barbara's back. Walt's back. Um, let me think. Uh, well, where do you want to start? <laughs> there's, there's so much we could go, we could go, uh, take a look at. Uh, Walt, you got some ideas? Uh, no, uh, you're the one who set the theme, so I, I don't know what was the, what, what subjects you wanted to discuss with Barbara tonight. Well, it's just a matter of exactly what we were talking about in the first hour. Um, Barbara, you're there, correct? Yep. Apparently, Walt doesn't want to talk. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned the uh, crop circles. Um, I went, 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 well, of course, because of circumstances, I got into a lot of this stuff really early in the ball game. And I also have this uh, belief.